Good morning. We're going to dive into Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you that this chapter exists because chapter 10 exists and chapter 12 exists. And in between chapter 10 and 12, we get this uh, reminder of what saving faith or enduring faith or genuine faith looks like. Because at the end of chapter 10, remember the context, the people that are receiving this letter are facing persecution, adversity, and hardship for following Jesus. And they're like, well, maybe we'll just ignore Jesus and just go back to the Old Testament, do the Old Testament thing, and not worry about Jesus. And for ten chapters, he's proven that that would be foolish because the subject of the Old Testament is Jesus. He is the promise you've been waiting for, and so you've got to endure and persevere by faith in Jesus. And so today we move from the time of Joseph in um, Genesis as articulated and explained in Hebrews chapter 11 and we'll skip over to Moses. That's the way the text flows. You remember Joseph last week tells, his, tells the sons of Israel, hey, take my bones out of Egypt because one day we're not going to be in Egypt anymore. We're going to be in the land of God's promises. And I so much believe that that I want you to take my bones and I want to be raised up with my fathers when the Messiah comes as he is promised. And so now... Uh, we have that in the back of our mind, knowing that one day they're going to leave Egypt. And who is it that leads, leads the Israelites out of Egypt? It's Moses, right? So we're going to learn about the faith of Moses today, beginning in verse 23. Would you hear now the word of God? By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith, He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Would you pray with me? God, help us to understand how to escape slavery to this world today. God, help us to apply the principles that we find in this text, principles that, that those who have saving faith and enduring faith in Christ will emulate in their lives. God, by your Spirit, give us the power, give us the desire to obey and to glorify Jesus in all things. We ask it in His name. Amen. Three things I want you to see from the text that we've just read. Now remember, the escape from Egypt is an escape from slavery. In a similar way, Jesus provides an escape not out of Egypt, but from slavery to our sin, from slavery to death, from slavery to the fear of death. This is possible because Jesus has come as our rescuer, the one who delivers us out of, if you will, metaphorically speaking, the land of slavery, sin, death, fear. Because of Christ, we don't have to live in that land anymore. And we see parallels between the situation of the Hebrews who are receiving this letter and Moses who leads the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and into eventually into the promised land. And the 
Three principles we see this morning are these. First, we must not fear earthly authority more than God. We must not fear earthly authority more than God. So the Hebrews get this letter and they were tempted because the government of Rome was beginning to persecute Christians. They were tempted to fear their government. And they were tempted to fear their society. They were tempted to fear their status in the workplace, the prospect of losing their job more than they feared God. They were tempted to put the temporary treasures of this world and acceptance and standing in this world ahead of standing with the people of God. So Hebrews reminds us that Moses' parents were not afraid of the king's edict. Do you remember that edict back in Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, that all the Hebrew baby boys were to be thrown in the Nile River and drowned. They were not to be allowed to live. Only the daughters could live. But as we know, the promises of God were going to require a son who would be born out of the Israelite people to be raised up to be their Messiah, their Deliverer. We know his name is Jesus, and we know that Moses because he's of the tribe of Levi and not of Judah, we know that Moses is not that son, but he recognizes, as we'll see in a moment, that that God is calling him to be one of the sons of Israel who would lead them into freedom so that all could enjoy the eventual Son of God who would be given through the people of Israel. You say, what are you getting at, Daniel? Here's what I'm getting at. Uh, We still have a role to play in getting people to Jesus. Now, Moses is on the side of Jesus where he's not there yet. I mean, he's in heaven, but he hasn't come to earth. We're on the side of Jesus where he's come to earth, but we still have a role to play in getting people to Jesus. And Moses' parents, by faith, did not obey the edict from the king. They disobeyed the Pharaoh's edict, and they hid Moses for three months. Why? Because he was a beautiful child. Now, that doesn't mean that he was necessarily a cute baby. Have you ever been presented with a baby that just wasn't very cute? And you just didn't know what to say? What do you say? Man, he sure is cute. He's a cute baby. One day he's going to be a beautiful baby. That's not, that's not what the text is talking about. He's talking about the, the baby's destiny. That, that Moses was going to be raised up to a particular purpose. He was beautiful to God because he would, he would be the means by which, the, the person through which God would bring about his good purposes of bringing his people out of slavery in Egypt. Now, that, that's important for us to hear as a church. God still wants us to have children, believing that if we raise them up in the gospel, that he or she will have a part of getting God's people out into the world so that others will know the saving plan and purposes that are possible through Jesus. We've spent generations in our country talking about going to the polls and advocating in the political arena, not that those are bad things, but do you know how you can win your country back? Have a lot of children who love Jesus. At the end of the day, we've been commanded in Genesis 1 and 2 to be a people of God who fill the world with worshipers. And if we would get back to obeying that one command and raising our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren as champions of the gospel, getting God's Word deep into their heart, framing for them their existence as the people of God in a world that is enslaved to sin and death, and instead help them understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, we could indeed change the world. But instead, we think children are too expensive, They take too much of our time, and we treat them like a nuisance. 
the church of God, if they want to have, if they want to stand for God and make a difference in this world, they, they need to have children. And they need to raise them up as champions for Jesus Christ. That's what Moses' parents did. Now you remember after three months, I don't know how they hit him for three months, and then suddenly at three months everything was okay. I mean, for three months, for us, the first three months were awful, right? I mean, up every hour on the hour at night doing feedings and all this crazy stuff. But apparently three months in, I guess Moses developed his lungs and everybody hears him, so they can't hide him anymore. You remember, they build a basket. Literally, the word is ark, which is interesting to me because God brings salvation through the ark of Noah and then he builds, she builds an ark for Noah, I mean for Moses, and Moses out there on the water and Pharaoh's daughter finds him and rescues him and then Moses' sister sees that this is happening and then Pharaoh ends up paying Moses' mom to be his nurse while he's raised as a son of the Pharaoh's daughter. So think about that. Moses is raised essentially as an Egyptian. He's raised in the house of Pharaoh. And, and this happens because Moses' parents feared God more than they feared God. Pharaoh. Their disobedience of earthly authority was a tremendous act of obedience to God, the ultimate authority. Their faithfulness is what God uses to set in motion the deliverance of the Israelites from slavery. When, God, when government issues a command that clearly contradicts the command of God, a command that would deny us the opportunity to point others to the way of escape from slavery to sin, and to enter into the promises of God through Jesus, we must disobey that command. Why? Because we obey, we fear God more than we fear man. Now, did the pastor just say disobey the, obey the government all the time? No, that's not what I'm saying. I mean, when they made Lockhaven 45 instead of 55, it drove me crazy. But in general, I obey that command. When they took the north end of Electric Road and they made it, took it from 55 to 45, it drove me crazy. But in general, I keep that command. And on 220, when they extended that 45 out for, for forever, for no reason, only to write tickets, I still obey that command. For the most part. I try. In general, the default setting of Christians is obedience to governing authorities. Romans 13.1 is clear. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Our default setting as believers is obedience, which means we tolerate a lot of things that we would rather not have to tolerate. But there is a line in the sand that the government can't cross. When the government tells us we can't raise our children in the gospel, we have to disobey. When the government tells us that our children must sit in a class where they're going to learn stuff about being a man and a woman and human sexuality that contradicts God's word, we must disobey. When the government limits the number of children we can have or tells us that we have to accept the world's twisted views on sexuality and identity or says we can't preach the gospel freely or that we can't say that Jesus is the one and only way to be reconciled to a holy God, then we must like Moses' parents, put our stake in the ground and we must disobey. The Apostle Peter anticipates this when he says, even if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Those who have saving faith in Jesus believe Jesus' words who said this, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who is able to to destroy both soul and body in hell. 
forever. We fear God more than we fear the powers of this earth. Secondly, to move out of the land of slavery and into the promised land, into the place of God's promises in Christ, the second thing we see is we must identify with God's people as we look to His reward. We've got we've to say we are Jesus' people. We are the people of God. We're not the people of this world. Moses was a son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he says, I'm not that anymore. I'm going with the people of God, no matter what it costs me. In verse 24, we move from the faith of Moses' parents to the faith of Moses. He grows up as a member of the first family. Can you imagine? He's got wealth and riches and privilege and opportunity and education. He had everything that people spend their lives chasing, and by faith, he leaves it all behind. You see that in verse 24, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The word refused is the same word translated deny in Luke chapter 9, 23, when Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself. He denied his Egyptian heritage. He denied all the privilege and opportunity that he had as a son of Egypt to stand with the people of God. It's difficult to conceive of a more convenient and comfortable life than the one Moses could have lived at that time in world history. But look at verse 24. It tells us when he had grown up. You know what it means to grow up in the gospel? It means to see yourself as a child of God no matter what it costs you. It means siding with Jesus and His people no matter how difficult. Maturity in Christ is connected to our identity with Christ and His people and our willingness to suffer loss in this world for His sake and for their sake. Do you see that in verse 24? I think it's 24. might be 25. Let me check. Yes, 25. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment, to suffer with the people of God. So when Moses... You say, well, when did this happen? Do you remember the story? Moses is out there and there's an Egyptian taskmaster who's beating a Hebrew slave, and what did Moses do? He killed him. Now, there were probably some better ways that he could have taken care of that issue, but he straight up killed him. In that day, in that moment, he renounced his Egyptian identity and all the privileges of it, and he said, I am with God's people in this battle. He says, I'm going to renounce the passing pleasures of sin that come in the land of slavery and I will endure suffering and adversity with the people of God. And the, the book of Hebrews commends Moses for that. I appreciate that in verse 25 that the author of Hebrews acknowledges that sin brings pleasure. Did you know that sin can be fun? Oh, you super spiritual people. Didn't even laugh. Hebrews says it. Sin can be fun for a while, but its pleasure is always passing. That last hit that ends up leading to your death brought pleasure until it ended in terrible pain and torment forever. The, the pleasures of sin will eventually wear out or your body will wear out, but at, at some point, the pleasures of sin are passing. Whatever has a hold on your heart this morning that's contrary to Jesus, its pleasure will fail. It will not save you. But there is a pleasure that never fails, that never ends, and it's found, as David tells us, at the right hand of the Father. In your presence, 
is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Do you know the pleasure that's found in knowing King Jesus who is seated at the right hand of the Father? Moses renounces worldly status to instead suffer persecution in this world with the people of God. After he kills the Egyptian, do you remember what happened? Pharaoh no longer loves Moses. He wants to kill Moses, and Moses is on the run. He's got to leave to the land of Midian. In an instant, his whole world is turned upside down because he stood with the people of God. Belonging to God has always included belonging to His people. How did He do it? Because He was looking for a future reward. In other words, He was able to delay His gratification. Did you know that living as a Christian in this world means living a life of delayed gratification? People struggle with that, don't they? Why do people pile up mountains of debt and never budget? Can't handle delayed gratification. Why why do people put the cart before the horse on marriage and family? They can't handle delayed gratification. Why do they put acceptance at the office and likes on social media ahead of standing unashamed before Jesus on the day that He returns? They can't handle delayed gratification. The life of a believer is a life that doesn't need a reward right now because it already has the reward of Jesus Christ our King as our... our, um, source of spiritual life day by day, and we know that we will behold Him face to face when He returns. Now you say, well, I've done some of those things you talked about. I've piled up debt. I I didn't do my marriage in the right order. Is there forgiveness for me? Yes, that's why Jesus came. He came to forgive you of your need for the passing pleasure of sin and to replace that with the joy that is found forever in the presence of Christ. It's not easy to stand with God's people, but that's what Moses does. Verse 26 tells us that he was able to leave the fleeting pleasures of the world and identify with God's people because he was looking for that reward. Do you believe that the reward of Christ's presence is greater than any other reward you could have? That's what Moses believed. God didn't promise his best life now, but he did promise his best life soon. You see, self-denial is only self-denial from the perspective of this present age. When we look at our lives from the perspective of eternity, there's no comparison between what this world offers, and do you see it in verse 26? The greater riches that are on the way to those who suffer hardship for Jesus' sake. Moses participated, verse 26 tells us, I love verse 26, Moses participated, he considered the reproach of Christ. The word Christ means Messiah, anointed one, the Son of God who was going to come. How in the world did Moses consider the reproach of the Messiah when the Messiah hadn't been born yet? Because like everyone else before him, he believed that the people of God were going to have to produce a son a son through whom the people of the world could be saved. He believed that Jesus was necessary. He believed that the people of God had to get out of Egypt and in the promised land for the purposes of God to be obtained. And he said, whatever I have to suffer to get Jesus to the world, I'm going to do it. So in that way, Moses participates in the reproach, which means the unjust suffering and disgrace and undeserved condemnation of Jesus. 
He had a faith like all the people of God before him because he had a faith in the coming Son of God. Now let me ask you, what will you suffer? What will you endure to get Jesus to a world that so desperately needs him? Now that he's come, now that he's fulfilled the promises that we read in the Old Testament, and we know that he's conquered death, hell, and the grave, and he's risen and seated at the right hand of the Father, what will you not give? What will you not endure for the sake of Christ? We have a choice, just like the Hebrews had a choice. Passing pleasures in this life, or a forever reward in the life to come. When it gets hard to live for Jesus and his people, Will you willingly suffer together for the sake of Christ? Will we choose temporary advantages in this world or an everlasting reward in the world to come? Thirdly, we see that we must move out of slavery to this world by seeing the unseen God. So, just to recap, first, we can't fear earthly authority more than we fear God if we're going to move out of the slavery that this world has. The second thing is, we've got to decide, are we going to be Jesus people or worldly people? There's no in-between category. Am I going to stand with the world or am I going to stand with Jesus and His people? And finally, once we've made that decision, we've got to move. It's time to move out. It's time to move on into the promises of God toward Jesus Christ our King. And we do that because in this world, all we see around us suggests that we're losing the battle that we're not getting wealth and status and fame and glory, but we know by faith that God is on our side and we see the unseen God. We see Him in our corner by faith. Verses 27 through 29 all relate to the escape of God's people from slavery in Egypt. You remember in Exodus 3, God calls Moses from the burning bush. Do you remember that story? And He's like, Moses, you're going back to Egypt to lead my people out. And Moses is like, what? Yeah, you're going, what am I going to say when I get there? Just tell them the great I am sent you. Okay. So he goes, and through nine plagues, the heart of the Pharaoh just gets harder and harder and harder. And through all of this, do you see the word in verse 27? Moses endured. He didn't give up after the first plague. He didn't give up after the second plague, the third plague, the gnats and the frogs and the bloody river and all the other things. He just kept on enduring by faith. Do you notice that he had a faith that did not fear the wrath of the king in verse 27? Does that not sound like his parents in verse 23? Like father and mother and like son, he, he has this faith that is like unto that of his parents. He did not fear the Pharaoh. Even the Pharaoh at any moment could have taken his life. He hung in there and he kept doing the work of the Lord. And the question for us, as we're moving out of this world and the trappings of this world and the temptation and the sin and the anxiety and the bitterness and everything that wants to wrap up us up in a world that is far from God, will we fear the anger of this world and its governing authorities or will we fear the anger of the Lord, the one who comes to judge the living and the dead. The power to endure in a world that wants to wear you down and make you quit comes not by trying harder or doing more or being better. It comes, do you see it in verse 27, by faith in the unseen God. By faith, Moses lived as though he could see God. Now we know God is spirit and you can't see God, but it was like he could see God. How would your life 
and your decision-making be different if you could see God in your corner? What, what, are you, what is confronting you right now that if you could see God right there for you and with you, that you would do differently? Guess what? He's there. Though you don't see Him physically, the Spirit of God gives us the eyes of faith to see that Jesus has come and done what is necessary for us to be delivered from sin, death, hell, and the grave and to live different in this world so that others might know Jesus. God, yes, is invisible, but He is most certainly there. Faith is faith because it's faith in a God we cannot see. It's not in an idol. It's not in items. It's not in wealth or fame or status or standing or anything else that you can measure and accumulate. God is not a stock portfolio. God is all in and He's all for His people 100% of the time. You don't have to monitor it. If you're in Christ, He is for you. Saving faith sees God as more real than our fears and it acts accordingly. Do you remember, you remember in Acts chapter 7, the story of Stephen? Stephen's preaching the old, in basically the whole Old Testament to the Jewish leadership and he walks through the whole Old Testament and he says, your forefathers have rejected the prophets and the gospel and the Messiah for generations. And guess what? The Jews really liked that message. Not really. They stoned him to death. You remember that? And as he's preaching through the Old Testament and he's amplifying, he's getting more and more accusations heaped up on the forefathers of the Jewish people and the stones start rolling down on Stephen. Do you remember what the Bible tells us? He looked up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father on his behalf. No matter what you must face in this world, if you'll suffer with and for Christ and His people He is there, whether you physically see Him or not. Even after nine plagues and no progress, Moses still sees the unseen God. And we know this because he keeps the tenth plague, the the plague of the Passover that we read about in Exodus chapter 12. The tenth plague when the Lord put to death the firstborn sons of Egypt and spared the firstborn sons of all the houses of Israel which put the blood of the sacrificial Passover lamb on the doorpost. And they were saved. They were spared. You see, Moses believed that God would spare Israel by sparing their firstborn sons, even though he had never seen it happen before. Moses had to act in faith. He had to believe that the only way out of Egypt was not by what he could do, but by a bloody sacrifice that God would provide. This, of course, was a a picture of the coming Messiah, the final perfect Lamb, who would be slain for the forgiveness of those who put the blood of the Lamb not on their doorposts, but over their hearts by faith. Now that Jesus has come to take our place, we know the powers of this world are going to face judgment as Egypt, just like Egypt did, judgment for rejecting the firstborn Son of God. We know that if we are in Jesus, if we will bear with and share in His rejection and treatment and hardship in this world for a little while, we have no reason to fear that when He returns, we will be with Him. Jesus is our deliverance from slavery to sin and death and into life everlasting with Him. And though we do not yet see Him literally, 
One day we will see Jesus face to face. And until that time, the Spirit of God gives us the eyes of faith to see that He is here. We need to see Him by faith. Because until we arrive in eternity, we will all face seasons that seem as impossible as the Red Sea standing before us. Do you remember what happens? Passover comes. The firstborn sons of Egypt die. The firstborn sons of Israel are spared. And it's time to get out of town. They get to the Red Sea and Pharaoh once again changes his mind. And all the armies of Pharaoh are chasing them down. And what do the Israelites do? What are we going to do? Maybe we'll just turn around and go back to slavery. Another 400 years. You remember what Moses says? Do not fear. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Just believe. Just trust. Just rest in God. And you remember what Moses does? He raises up his arms and God sends a strong east wind overnight and he blows the sea right through the middle of the Red Sea and there's a wall of water on either side and they cross through on the dry land. That's a picture of the life that we're living right now. We're on our way out of slavery and into the promised land. And on either side of us, you see the sea in Scripture represents chaos and confusion and adversity and hardship. And on either side of us, there's this wall of those things. Confusion, adversity, hardship, sin, death, suffering, grief. All the stuff that that the world is trying to run away from. And it's right there on either side of us. And God just says, keep on walking through the stormy sea. I've got it. Can you imagine that? They had done, God had done everything they needed to be rescued. They could see the path clearly, but at any moment, if the sea came crashing down, they would perish. If they turned around out of doubt, they would still be in slavery. But they didn't go back. They kept walking through. And they did it by faith. I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus has made a path out of slavery to this world and into the promise of His forever presence. He did it. God the Son left the glory of heaven. He came down and He allowed Himself. He didn't stretch out His hands over the sea. He stretched out His hands on a cross. And He was pierced through for your transgressions. He was crucified for your iniquity and your sin. He died so that you would not have to die forever. Jesus is the prophet greater than Moses who delivers us from sin and death. Because Jesus came and stretched those arms out on the cross, we know that we can walk through the sea that seems to stand between us and the promises of God. And we can do it not because we are great, not because of our goodness, but because Jesus is the firstborn Son of Israel who laid down His life so that the Father could forgive your sins and give you new life in Him. A life that does not have to fear the threats of this world because it is so assured that the promises of God are yes and amen through the finished work of Christ. The sea, when the armies of Pharaoh came chasing after the Israelites, came crashing down. And they were drowned. We all have a choice to make. Are you going to be a son of Pharaoh's daughter and live in the lap of luxury in the land of Egypt but then perish in the sea? Or will you choose this day to be a son of God, a daughter of God, 
and to endure with His people no matter the cost. The way out of slavery is clear. Stop being afraid of the world. Join God's people. Run through the sea into the arms of Jesus and never look back. Would you pray with me? God, we need you. God, we confess that we live in a world that's confusing. It's full of chaos. It's full of heartache and adversity and temptation. God, there's there's temptation to quit on Jesus every day. It comes in big ways and in small ways. It comes in our marriages. It comes in our work life. It comes in our parenting. God, there's discouragement at every turn. But our hope is not in our circumstances. Our hope is in Christ crucified and risen and reigning for His people. And God, today in this room and and online, I know that there's at least one. They're still a a son of the Pharaoh or a daughter of the Pharaoh. They're they're still chasing the luxuries of this world, the the fleeting, passing pleasures of sin. And one day the sea is going to come crashing down on them and it'll be too late. But God, You've made a way through the cross of Christ. The greater Passover Lamb, the one who laid down His life, who came from heaven to be our substitute so that our sin could be thrown as far as east is from west and we could live like Jesus' people in the here and now. God, if, if there's one in this room who needs Jesus, Spirit of God, draw them up into Your salvation today. Give them the freedom to come and to confess their sin and receive Jesus. And God, if there's maybe someone watching online who says, I I don't know what I need to do. How do I stop being afraid? How How do I identify with God's people? God, maybe give them the liberty to pray something just like this. Jesus, I need you. I'm tired of trying to live it on my own, to do it on my own, to be good enough on my own. God, I recognize that I'm a sinner, that I'm a slave to sin, and I don't want to be that anymore. I want to be free. I want to live for Jesus. I want to know His presence. So Holy Spirit of God, change my life right now. Make me a child of God. Help me to know God's people, to be a part of a local church, and to stand shoulder to shoulder with them as we walk through the stormy sea into the presence of God. And if that's your heart, whether you're online or in this room, if you prayed that prayer and if you meant it and you know that God is now your Savior, why don't you reach out to North Roanoke and let somebody know so we can help you grow in Christ and keep walking forward for Him. Jesus, will give you all the praise and all the glory for what you do in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.